And I just want to ask for your grace. If you're new with us or the first time in a long time, a little grace on today. I'm not a normal sermon. It's, uh, that'll happen. Next week, we're going to be launching a, a five-week series called Upon This Rock. Please come back next week. But this week, I want to take just a few minutes to really cast vision for our next season. I think it's so important that we cast vision. It's so important that we know where we're going, Right? Come on, it's good that you know where you're going. How many of you have stepped out into some place not knowing where you're going and then wonder how in the world you ended up there? Right? Come on. So important. Today is a super special day. We're going to set the course for the next 52 weeks. Many of you are familiar with the passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 29, 18. Without vision, the Bible says what? People perish. And I love what it says in the message translation of the Bible. Listen to what it says. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, If people can't see what God's doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. I love that. If people can't see what God's doing, they stumble all over themselves. I think that's a problem in the world today. I think sometimes people don't know exactly what it is that God's doing, and so they stumble all over themselves. I think I, if I could translate it in the New Lance translation... I would say it this way. When people don't know what God's doing, they just start making stuff up. Come on. That's what happens. When people don't know what God's doing, they just start making stuff up. Man, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. Someone come up to me and tell me what it is that God's telling them that has nothing to do with something that God would actually say. Come on. I've heard some, I remember growing up in a house where the phrase, uh, God helps those that help themselves was quoted all the time. Can I just tell you, it's not in the Bible, right? Did you know that? Well, it's in the book of hesitations. <laughs> yeah, or in the book of confusion, one or the other, I don't know. Nevertheless, it's not there. There's a lot of things that happen when people don't know what it is that God's saying or doing. We stumble all over ourselves. My hope is this morning that you'll get a picture of what it is that God's doing, at least in your church. So that you can decide to, to step into it, to, to get in line, to walk in lockstep with the rest of us. That we would begin to understand the mission and the vision and the purpose for our church. I love the fact that we take a moment every year to really begin to, to re redefine, to reset, to reestablish the direction for our church. The good news is, is it's not a real, real big steer away from something. It's really actually very close to what we've been doing and a part of. Because that's how God works. God always builds one thing upon another, line upon line, precept upon precept. So as we embark on this journey, will you join me as we pray? God, thank you for an opportunity to hear your word, to hear your vision, to really get in line with your mission. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I announce our theme for the year, I want to tell you this, our mission of the church. The mission of your church is pretty simple. It's to send loved, mended, and trained people out. Will you join me in saying that? What's the mission of our church? To send loved, mended, and trained people out. I love that. It's so important that you understand the mission of your church. I, I was raised up in church uh, as a young person, and, and I can't be honest, I never really knew that there was a mission inside of a church. I didn't know that every church had its own mission and its own purpose. And I tell you this because I really mean this with all my heart. You need to know what the mission of your church is. 
that you could actually get in line with the mission. Can I just be so bold as to tell you this? If, if sending love amended and trained people out is not in line with your mission, will you come see me? And I'll help you find the church that will help you get connected to its own mission. Because there's, there's a mission that fits you, all right? Uh, hopefully it's not collect as large people. <laughs> just collect a whole bunch of humans. Hopefully somewhere there's the sending put component into the church that you want to go to. Over these last two weekends, we've been talking, uh, really putting a bow on the theme from last year. The theme from last year was two words, your move. We really felt like God was giving us this directive to, 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 to move out into some sort of a move. And, and so many of you took a step this last year. You took a step to bring healing to your marriage. You took a step to uh, maybe change jobs because you felt like it was going to line up this new job with what it is that God put you on the planet for. Uh, you, you took a move somewhere maybe to attend or to lead a Bible study. You made a move to do something. Uh, last couple of weeks, we, we've been, we had a series entitled Borrowed Ground, where we kind of went back to say, hey, listen, if you haven't jumped on yet, I want you to know it's not too late. And we kind of talked about what it means to live in this uh, kind of land that's not our own. God's intention is to move you into a place of maturity, to move you into your promise, and, and, and literally make a move. Last couple of weeks, as we put the bow on that theme from last year, I think it bears us moving now into our theme for this year. Our theme for this year is uh, simply one word. You know what it is? Send. (laughs) Send. Big words right back there. Send. Now, some of you are thinking to yourselves like, okay, Lance, that's not very creative. Send. Really? Like you, you say that all the time. Send. Why would that be the theme for our year? Glad you asked. (laughs) Our mission is to send love, mended, and trained people out. The problem isn't with our mission. The problem is understanding the word send. The reason I say that is because I want you to know our church is all about sending out people. We have been a church that over this last year we've sent out pastors, we've sent out missionaries, we've sent out leaders to other churches, we've, we've sent out people all across the, the globe, literally. And, and we've, we've sent people to say, go and minister, go and do that, send. We've been a church that is about that. And that's not going to change. We still are going to be a church that sends people out of here to go and do stuff in other churches as leaders and so forth. That's going to be fantastic. And a big part of what God has really wired us for here at PSC, uh, Puget Sound Foursquare. He's really wired us for that. Whoopsie. I want you to know something. But there's something about the mission I think that we're missing. See, I, th- see, I believe that we, we are a sending church. But by my fear is, is that some of us actually think that the sending is to be done for church leaders and missionaries and church planters and so forth. As if that's the only sending that we do. I want to challenge you this morning to to a place in your life where you realize that the send message isn't just for them. The send message is for all of us. That God has called us all to be sent. I think that's where the confusion has lied in our church here at at our church. Where where there's been this this element of, of a misunderstanding perhaps. And I'll explain as to why I believe there was a misunderstanding. And part of it's because of the messaging that comes from right up here. When I would bring people up here and send them out from here and they would go off to other churches as leaders and missionaries and church planters. And I don't know if you realize this, but we're going to continue doing that. 
We actually have two church planters in, in, in the hopper right now, ready to be sent out at some point over this next season that we're going to go. I'm so excited about that. Some of you are going to probably go and plant with them. Well, why is that so vital and so important? I think it's huge because it's an opportunity for you to, uh, do you realize that there's no faster way to reach your community statistically than starting a church? I can tell you, we can have the biggest evangelistic outreaches. We can get flatbeds with really loud speakers and offer free lunch and hope that everybody will come. But the fastest way to reach a community today, church planting. You watch and see what's going to happen. <laughs> I know that. Why do I know that? Because I was a church planter at one point. And I watched the church that I walked alongside of that had been there for, gosh, decades struggle and trip and fumble. And we came in as a church plant and we reached the community when they were trying so hard to do it. Same message, same plan, same people in a lot of ways, but the the messaging was different because people received it differently. Hmm. This last March, I I brought uh, Katie and Chad Calloway. Remember Katie and Chad? Children's pastors, amazing people. Uh, They came to me, gosh, about a year ago now, and asked me if uh, they could be sent off to Australia. They felt God was leading them to Australia and wanted to go there. And so this whole year-long process of transitioning them from where they were as children's pastors to be sending off to Australia it was an amazing time. And so this last March, we brought Ch- Cad and, Cad, Chad and Katie up here, and, and we began to pray over them. And, and there was this real big moment of celebration, and people were woohoo about that because they were so excited to see what God had done in their lives and what they were being sent to so we celebrated, we, we, we prayed over them, and then we all went out to the, the big mezzanine out there in the common area that we have out there in the middle, and we all we had coffee and cake, and we ate lunch, and we had a great time to celebrate them. Well, I asked this woman who's in our church named Mumby if I could share her story. Just after church, Mumby came up to me, and she said, Pastor Lance, that was such an amazing service. Thank you so much for bringing Chad and Katie up and praying over them and, and, and telling them that they've been loved and they've been mended and they've been trained and now we're sending them. She said, Pastor Lance, it felt so great to be able to be part of the church that sends people out to their mission. She said, but you know what, Pastor? More than anything, I am so excited. And I said, well, what, what for, Mummy? She said, I'm so excited for the day that you bring me up on the platform and you pray to send me out. I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> but maybe, the, but, and here's the crazy thing. Nobody got a, a right message that we are ascending church. The problem is, is that the messaging from the front came almost as if our goal is to raise you up, to send you out, to not return. <laughs> And she said, no, no, no. I said, Moby, listen, God's really called you to be a one sent. I, I love that about you. Uh, but, but I want to know you to know something, that send is more than just sending you out to no return. Send is a, a, is a, send is a daily call in all of our lives. And so I said, Moby, I feel, and immediately the Lord whispered to me. And she said, he said to me, he said, Lance, Moby got the message that you've been speaking. She got the message that you've been speaking, which is sending means leaving. And I was like, Lord, that's not what my intention was because sending is leaving, but also sending is staying. There's something about sending. Almost as if uh, uh, the the picture the Lord gave me was a tree that grows up from the ground. And when it grows up from the ground, I don't know if you know this or not, but you know trees grow roots. Horticulturists will tell you this. You know what trees do? Trees send out roots. 
the Lord gave me this word, and he said, Lance, that's what I want you to do at your church, that they're sent out as roots that will reach out far as they, they can and still be grafted and connected into the tree. I was like, gosh, Lord, I, forgive me. I had to repent and say, Lord, I, I'm, I have to reevaluate this. And, he, and, and I felt this still small whisper. This was back in March, about the time that I started praying for our theme for this year. And I feel like the Lord just said to me, Lance, the word for the Lord, for the church today, for this next season, the theme is going to be send. Your job is to unpack it for 52 weeks. <laughs> send. God's called us to send. Thank you, Mommy, for letting me share your story. I do believe that God has called us to send out church planters, to send out pastors, to send out missionaries. I think God's really, I know that that's part of who we are because I have this crazy passion as a pastor to lead pastors. As it is, as a superintendent, I get to oversee 14 churches right here in this region. I love this calling that God's given me. I love this purpose that God's given us as a four-square church, that we get to be light in the darkness, that we get to send out pastors and leaders to other churches. It's amazing. But make no bones about it. I believe God has called us to be equippers of the saints, to release them and send out like roots into our world, right here in the Puget Sound region. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on. What if being sent was a mandate for each person that names the name of Jesus? What if being sent was actually a responsibility of all of us, not just for a chosen few? What if being sent actually was a commission given to each of us as we leave a church service every week? If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. This is a story where Jesus takes his disciples. Now, this was, Jesus had already been with his disciples for two, two and a half years at this point. This was kind of the time near the end of his ministry where he spent less time with the multitudes and the crowds and more time with his disciples, more time with the 12, more time giving them a message, more time giving, him, giving him, them all of his, his attention. I love this because this Matthew 16, if, if there was a way to, to, to write a thesis paper on the Bible, it would have to start with Matthew chapter 16. It literally is, is the purpose of the Bible. I love it. To me, Matthew 16 is this, is this beautiful picture defining the Old Testament and the New Testament and the crisis and the hope and the answer and all that lies in the context of this, of this thing called Christendom. I love this. Matthew chapter 16 takes place where Jesus, the Bible says, went up to a region called Caesarea Philippi. Now, now just regionally, I want you to know something, that, that the way is the map sits, because it's important that you understand the geography. Understand that when Jesus spoke a message, he was speaking a message, and oftentimes there were messages inside the message. This is one of those times, in my opinion. Uh, let, watch this. So the geography of the, the land of Palestine at that moment, what was literally, there, there was a, a Jerusalem sat basically here. And, and about over here to the east of Jerusalem was this thing called the Dead Sea. Just north, probably 25 miles or so, was what was called the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, we talked about that a bunch. And about 25 miles straight above the Sea of Galilee was a place called Dan. Dan. Dan was like this, uh, it basically meant kind of yucky garbage dump. 
But Dan was basically the most northern tip of the whole uh, land of Israel. It was the, it was the very tip. In fact, you, you could say uh, from the very tip of Israel was Dan, and the very bottom was called Beersheba. Uh, sometimes people would say things like, you know, a phrase like the first to the last, the beginning to the end, from Dan to Beersheba. Literally, it was like the top and the bottom. Well, as high as you could go in Palestine was, was this, this place called Dan, and then just over to the east was this place called Caesarea Philippi. So we have Jerusalem down here, over to the Dead Sea, up to the Sea of Galilee, way up to Dan, and then over here to Caesarea Philippi. We have Caesarea Philippi and, and the temple, Jerusalem, literally at the corners of the nation. Almost as far as you could possibly get from one another. Jerusalem was the center of Jewish religion. It was where the temple was. It was the worship of God. It was all the things that happened in Jerusalem. Three times a year, everybody would make a trek from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea over to Jerusalem and back. They would go to worship, offer sacrifices, and give it all that they had. It was the center of what they did religiously. Jesus fought his biggest fights over in Jerusalem. All the things that went crazy there. Why do I tell you the geography? It's important that you understand the context of the lay of the land. Understand this, Caesarea Philippi was way up here to the northeast. As Caesarea Philippi sat on the, the map, it was, uh, it, it, was like, it was like the antithesis of Jerusalem. It, it was like uh, the place of pagan worship. It was like the, the, the epicenter of paganism. Uh, the, the, put it this way, no righteous Jewish person should ever be found there. Uh, it would have been like uh, Las Vegas of the first century. I mean, it would have been that whole moment, right? It literally would have been the moment where you don't want to hang out there. There was a, a, a big temple erected to Artemis, this false god. Another false god's name was Pan, P-A-N, or Pan. And, and literally, Pan was the guy who was half goat, half man. And, and there, he was worshipped at this place called Caesarea Philippi. In fact, Caesarea Philippi was this was this place that, like I said, no good, righteous Jewish person should go. Interestingly enough, the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 16, it says that Jesus was on his way to Caesarea Philippi with the disciples. As your first blush, you think to yourself like, eh, just another, just another town in the Middle East. You have to understand something. There was no, it wasn't on the way to anything. It was, it was way out of the way to everything. There was no good reason why it should be up there to that point, and Jesus should take his disciples there? Hmm. Personally, I think geography had a lot to do with it. Look at down at uh, chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the other, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, well, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. I love this to me. I love it. There's this beautiful picture of, of Jesus asking the question that every single one of us is to answer one day when we go to heaven. Every single one of us has to answer the question. And this is the, the thesis of the Bible I was talking about. This is the message of the Bible. One day when we stand before God and he says, who do you say 
that I am? The answer to this question is paramount to your eternal salvation, to to your, your relationship with God. And how we answer the question is really the most important thing. In fact, I'd be so bold as to tell you, I don't know if the English language is doing this particular passage much help. Jesus asked Peter and the rest of the disciples, not only who do they say that I am, he said, who do you say that I am? Let me put it a little differently. Maybe this will help you understand the gravity of the question. Jesus really would ask you and I the same question, but he might word it like this. Who did you say that I was? You do realize that your feet and hands and mouth and actions are all answering the question right now. See, we kind of tend to think that when I get to heaven, you better take a note of this and write it down because you want to be able to say just what Peter said. You're Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Ding, 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 ding. But he's going to ask you this question with this, uh, this little caveat that says, I watched you on earth. Who, who did you say that I was? Better question today. Who are you saying today that he is? See, some of us some of us actually think that, well, I'm going to have to be living a righteous life now. I don't necessarily have all my ducks in a row, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to have the right answer. You see, when we get to heaven, the answer is already going to be set because how we lived our life is answering the question right now. So my question for you once again today is the apex of our walk with God. Who are you saying that he is right now? Jesus takes his disciples as far away from religion as they could possibly go. From Jerusalem down here all the way to Caesarea Philippi to ask them a question. Who do you say that I am? I think it's amazing to me how Jesus uses this, uh, the scene for that. Why, why didn't he ask them that when they were down by the Sea of Galilee where they all hung out and lived and, and had houses and, and comfortable surroundings that they were used to? Why would he take them up to this place that none of them should hang out to ask them the question, who do you say that I am? Why didn't Jesus take them at one of these times when he was in Jerusalem and they were offering sacrifices to God? How come they didn't ask him then, hey, who do you say that I am? Why did Jesus take them 25 miles north and then off to the east to ask them the question, who do you say that I am? Let's go on, verse 17 of chapter 16. It says, then Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. By the way, remember his name was Peter. He initially had a name, Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter. Because my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers or gates of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven, and whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. If you have that picture, I'd like you to show that up on the screens right now. Over in Caesarea Philippi, there's this big old cave. You can see it right there, uh, right, right to the, the right-hand side of the screen. And, and this, or I'm sorry, left-hand side of the screen. There's a big cave, and those little cutouts there are where they put little false idols in the rock wall. That rock wall there is the foot of a mountain called Mount Hermon. I don't know if you remember that, that before. Mount Hermon is this place where uh, all kinds of crazy stuff happened. But this was Caesarea Philippi. That big hole that you see there on the left-hand side of the screen was known as this, the gates of hell. 
It was just known as the gates of hell. It was believed that Baal, the, the false god, would go down there during the wintertime when it was cold and rainy, and he would come up in the summertime when it was warm and cozy, and, and he would come up and down, and the gates of hell were there. At that time, early on in the first century, there was actually water flowing out of that big hole. This place was called the gates of hell. No wonder no good Jewish person should hang out at the gates of hell. It would be bad. My question is this. Why would Jesus take his disciples to the gates of hell to ask them the question, who do you say that I am? Why would Jesus take them away from the religious center that all that they knew to the place as far as they could possibly go, literally the gates of hell, to ask them this question? Hmm. Peter answers correctly. Jesus says, Peter, you are Simon. Simon Peter, he says, Simon, you are Peter. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now, just for the uh, quick Greek understanding, Jesus calls him Simon because he understood the name Simon. But then he says, you are Simon, you are Peter. The word Peter comes from, there's two Greek words I want you to look at. One is the name Peter, and the other is this rock that he talked about. Peter and a rock. Both similar words in the Greek. The word Peter actually comes from the Greek word petros, petros, which literally means pebble or small rock standing on its own. Peter is Petros, little small pebble, right? Something you could throw, put in your pocket, pebble, right? The, the word Petra or rock is the word Petra. So there's Peter, Petros, and rock, Petra. The word Petra or Petra that you may know of literally means this. It doesn't mean pebble. It means rock that's emerging from the crust of the earth. Hmm. Petros literally means Peter pebble, Petra means rock that emerges from the crust of the earth. This picture I showed up there, this big rock. Hmm. Why is that important? I'll tell you this. The Catholic Church believes, and I know that because I was raised in the Catholic Church, believes that when Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, the Catholic Church believed that Jesus was speaking to Peter, the pebble, the small rock, that upon him, he would be the first pope, and he would be the one upon whom the church would be built. Uh, I'm not so sure. I'm pretty sure that doesn't now, that's not what it meant. Literally, the rest of the Protestant church had actually believed this, that when Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, oh, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church. I think they would literally, most every Protestant says this. Oh, Jesus was saying, little teeny rock, Upon this really big principle that you just mentioned, we'll build the church. What did Peter just mention? That Jesus was the son of the living God. That's the truth. Jesus is as if he was saying, hey, upon that truth, we'll establish the church. Amen? I think that's the truth. But I think there's something in the geography that we have to close a blind eye to if we don't catch. Jesus says, Peter, pebble, upon this massive rock formation, that's coming up from the crust of the earth, I'll build my church. See, what does this have to do with the theme? Everything. I believe Jesus took his disciples as far away from religion to a place that's, well, known as the gates of hell and said this, I don't want to build my church there. I want to build my church there. I want to build my church out where people don't know me. 
I want to build my church out where no one has a clue. I want to build my church where, where everyone is confused. I want to build my church where a misunderstanding, light is called darkness and darkness is called light. I want to build my church outside the walls of a facility. Jesus was literally saying, I want to build my church as far away from religion as we possibly can. Can I just help you clear this up by telling you this? You do realize that the four walls of this wonderful building that we have, 4020 South 56th Street, is not the church. Somebody say amen. You realize this is a building that the church meets in. This isn't rocket science. I'm promising you. I promise you. You know who the church You, my brothers and sisters, are the church. You just meet here on Sunday mornings. You're the church. This is not the church. You see, see the problem, you know why church plants are more effective in reaching communities? Because most church plants meet in schools. Most church plants meet somewhere in the community. Most church plants meet in rented facilities. Most church plants meet, and what happens is the message is loud and clear. Because there's, there, there's school desks, and there's gymnasiums, and there's awkward sound, and there's all kinds of craziness. And kids are meeting in a hallway instead of a classroom, and it's just all a mess. And people are like, they automatically walk in, and the first thing they say is this, this ain't no church. Until people start talking and sharing and, and serving. And then they realize quickly, ah, I get it. The church is the people that meets in this place. Jesus said, I'll build my church, but I don't want to do it down here. I want to do it out there. What does the sin message have to do with that? Everything. See, every single one of us is to go build the church. out. Is to go take the message that Jesus is building in us out there. You know what Sunday service is supposed to be? Everyone come back together one time a week and we're going to share our stories of how it went as you were out there being the church. And then I'll stand up here and equip you to do, have a few things to take with you in your tool belt. That, my brothers and sisters, is what we're supposed to be doing around here. My job is to equip you. Your job is to walk it out. See, we got it all mixed up. We kind of tend to think that, your, that my job is to feed you. Your job is to ingest it and then complain if you don't like it. That felt good. I feel, it's like therapy. <laughs> Seriously, it was like therapy. I just got it out, right? <laughs> That's not our calling. My job is to equip you. Your job is to walk it out. You know what? You are sent. My job is to send you. You'll notice when you walk back out of the sanctuary today, on the back wall, there are, there are a bunch of values that are going to hit you straight in the nose. You know why? Because we want you to walk out with the values of your church family with you as you walk out. Our hope is that you'll see them every day, that, that you walk out of here and go, I didn't see that one before, but I see it now, and see something happen as you're sent to your mission field. I love the fact that Jesus sent them to the gates of hell. Listen to what it says in Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. I love this. Jesus said go. Jesus didn't say stay. Uh, now, now, you've heard me say a few times about the fact that our church is changing its name. Why would we change the name of our church? Puget Sound Christian Center has a really great name in our society. People love this church. It's a wonderful thing. Why would we change the name of the church? I'll tell you this. reason why is 38 years ago when Pastor Tom and Renee and friends planted this church, 
The words Christian center meant something different in 1979 and 80. It meant different. You know what it meant? Back then it meant come here, be trained to go out. But what happened over the years, I was just got a text from Pastor Tom this morning. Say, here's what he said. Go for it. I'm telling you this changing the name of the church. Why are we changing the name of our church from Puget Sound Christian Center to Puget Sound Foursquare Church? Here, here's the reason why. Because Christian Center has a message. And the messaging that comes to us when we say it is, is this. Everyone come here to the center. Just come and hang out at the center. Can I tell you the messaging I believe God's given us as a calling? Go out to the region. Puget Sound Foursquare Church. Go out to the region. I, I don't know if you knew this or not, but, but Puget Sound Foursquare isn't a new thing for us. Actually, it was 11 years ago when, when this church was brought into Foursquare. And, and you got to know a little bit, just a little bit of history about Foursquare in, in and of itself. Foursquare, actually, as a denomination, gives the church a legal name, and then you come up with a slogan name. So uh, when I planted the church in this little town called Ording, our legal name was Ording Foursquare. Our, our slogan name was Abundant Life Church, Abundant Life Foursquare Church. We had a legal name and a slogan name. Do you realize here at our church, down in L.A., don't tell anybody this, but they forgot to use Google Maps. Here's what happened. Down at the headquarters, uh, listen to this. So it's hit 11 years ago, they said, Lance, you're going to bring that church in Tacoma into Foursquare. I said, yes. So legally, our name is supposed to be uh, Tacoma Foursquare 3 because there's a couple other churches here in town. Well, but, but what happened is somebody forgot to use Google Maps down there, and they thought we lived in a city called Puget Sound. So it came back to me with this big mistake, and our, our, our legal name is Puget Sound Foursquare. You think I should have called and told them we don't live in a city called Puget Sound, but I didn't. <laughs> I actually thought it was prophetic. And so I didn't change it. I kept it. So for a long time, for 11 years, we've been living. With, so all the bank stuff we do is under Puget Sound Foursquare, believe it or not. And so nothing changes there. It's pretty easy. The IRS calls us Puget Sound Foursquare. Now you get to call us that. Now, now here's what I'm going to ask you. For grace, if you've ever been in a business that's changed its name at some point, emails, websites, letterhead, blah, 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 lots of stuff. All right? So Grace. In fact, I would be so bold as to tell you this. If you see something that hasn't changed, will you tell us so we can fix it? Amen? We want to see that happen, right? So, so lots of stuff is going to go on in this change. Why Puget Sound Foursquare? Because I believe God's called us to a region. Now, will there be times when we're going to say the wrong name? Yeah, so will you. But here's the thing. So it's going to take some time. It's going to take some money. We've got to change that big old sign out front. And you'll see that, right? So it's going to happen. For the most part, we've transitioned over, but, but there's going to be things we miss. I just need your help to do that. Deal? Puget Sound Foursquare. I love it. Be patient with us. So there's a couple things I just want to point out to you really quickly as we go. We started what's called a, you know what, I'm going to deal with this later. I'll do that next week as we come. We have all kinds of time to unpack this. I want to just challenge you this. God's called us to be sent to this region. He's called every one of us to a sending moment. My challenge for you today is to this, is to find out what your mission field is. One of my good friends, Bill Sims, every morning gets up out of his bed and he goes to his office. When he shows up at his office, they meet him at the door with a cup of coffee and they ask him, do you want the regular today? And they give him the regular. See, there's something about my friend, Bill, pastor, uh, that, that I love, is that his office is no longer at Boeing where he was for 30 years or so, 15 years as the human resources person training leaders at the last part. 
is no longer has an office with a door. In fact, Bill has an office. And you know what his office is? It's a dining table at Chick-fil-A. Every morning, Bill gets there at Chick-fil-A. Every employee, every manager, almost most of the regular people that walk in there see him. And when I go meet him in his office, you know what he does? What would you like today, Lance? And, and, and every one of those guys views him. You, you know, I told him, I said, you know what you are, Bill? You're the pastor to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Can I tell you this? All joking aside, that's exactly what he is. He's a missionary to people who don't know any better. We prayed over you school teachers and bus drivers and lunch people and, and, and all of that. Some of you are going to your jobs as lawyers and doctors and bus drivers and ditch diggers and sign holders and whatever it is that you do. Can I just be so bold as to tell you this? You're being commissioned out. Whatever your mission field is, send. It's what you're being trained to do. I'm going to have Laura in... Carissa, come up here, and they're going to sing a song. There's words on the screen. I want them to sing this song as we close. And as they do, I want you I want you to just imagine the calling that God's placed in your life. I want you to take a look just for a moment. Close your eyes. if You, you can hear the words. They're beautiful. But, but uh, watch and see what God's saying to you. There's a commissioning happening today. And if you'll receive it, it's for you. Amen.
Maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you are one who showed up here and you've never really, you've never really answered the question, who do you say that I am? Maybe that scared you a few minutes ago when I brought that out. If that's you, let's take care of that right now. Can we pray? Jesus, I pray today that somebody who doesn't know you that came to church today Father, that there would be a moment of surrender in their life. So if that's you right now and you're sitting here, I want you to just say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I give my life completely to you. Will you take away my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit? I want to be a Christian. I want to be a sent one. I want to be one that goes out and reaches the lost. But Lord, I want to make sure that I'm found. If that's you today, say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And maybe it's been the first time in a long time. And you walked with Jesus a long time ago, but this is a new place. You don't need to get re-saved. You just need to get realigned. Say, Jesus, forgive me for walking from you, and I want to embrace a journey with you today. I need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.